Hello listeners, welcome to Turns Out She's Psychic, the podcast, spiritual musings, sometimes amusing. I'm Tracy and I'm Laura. Hi everyone. The topic for today's podcast is grief and loss. Tracy and myself interview the beautiful Christy who comes on and shares her story about stillbirth. So we just thought we'd include this trigger warning at the start of the episode for those who may not feel quite ready or comfortable with with the topic today. What does transpire is a very healing chat on Christy's journey and her story. And what we hope to do is, you know, provide some support and help others along the journey of grief. Welcome back to Turns Out She's Psychic. I'm Laura. And I'm Tracy. Tracy with the scratchy voice. So she's going to, well, she reckons she's going to be a bit more quiet during that this interview, (laughs) but we'll see. We'll see how we go. Uh, this week we're joined by the lovely Christy. Say hi, Christy. Hi. <laughs> Christy is the founder of Helping Hearts Heal, a service aimed at helping and supporting those overwhelmed or stuck in grief. Christy has had over 20 years industry experience, but it's her personal experience with grief that uniquely qualifies her to truly understand those she helps. Christy, thank you so much for saying yes. I know this is a huge but exciting step for you to be interviewed. If you are comfortable with it, would you share in your own words a little or as much as you want about your sweet baby Emmy and your experience with grief? Well, absolutely. Um, That's the whole reason I'm here talking to you today and doing what I do. So I love talking about um, Emmy. And, um, yeah, so the story, I guess, was um, in 2014 Um, I was pregnant with Emmy. She was my third little girl. Um, I had, uh, I have two other older daughters at the time. So I had Tess, who was almost five, and then Isla, two and a half, um, two and a half. So I was 40 weeks pregnant and just um, so excited because this, you know, Emmy was going to complete our family. Um, And the girls, particularly Tess, she was sort of that, little girl that was you know four going on 15 type thing and she was so so excited such a little mother duck she still is to this day um but they yeah we were just so excited couldn't wait another day and I remember being with my sort of third you're a lot more sort of um casual so I was in labor and or just the early stages and you know we're at mum's house and the girls were all planned for a sleepover and trying to remain cool but so excited because I'd actually um I'd not been pregnant for that long before the girls came like a week or two earlier so those last two weeks were like oh my goodness you know come already so it was super exciting um but yeah it just all went terribly wrong from there we um my husband I said to my husband go and have a sleep this is all happening tonight like we're not going to have sleep for a while after this and um, then I just had this really, really strong sense. Like I just wanted to be, I'd, I'd been communicating with the midwives and they're like, you know, just stay home for as long as you can. But okay. just this really strong sense, like just wanted to be at the hospital, just, you know, 
get there and, and I reckon literally like moments later my my waters broke and they broke brown okay. and I said to my husband I don't know what this is but it's not good so from then it was just a, a really horrible um turn of events like everything literally that kind of could have gone wrong seemed to have gone wrong um and yeah we found out um in the hospital that, you know, we wouldn't be delivering. Well, our daughter would be delivered um, stillborn. She wasn't going to be alive and breathing. So it was very, very shocking. Um, Yeah, it's definitely not something you ever, ever um, plan for or, yeah, expect. Um, And, yeah, so we, we, I delivered her um, and I remember because I've been thinking about it, and you know, I remember the moment that she she was born, um, just looking at her and just feeling such a sense of peace. She was so beautiful. Mm. And I remember looking around at my poor husband and, and the midwives, and I could see that they I thought I must be thinking I'm so strange at this moment. But that moment was just incredibly beautiful and special because you know she was on my chest, and that's all you really want. But yeah, it was it was the moments after that that just got so um, yeah, it was just very the beginning of an absolute roller coaster and yeah, a very painful turn of events and yeah, walking out of those that hospital um, with my husband empty-handed was just the the worst uh, moment of my life. I still sort of wonder how did we get the strength to actually just um, walk out those those doors so. Yeah, so that that then began, um, yeah, I guess a very um, that that began the journey and um, learning about grief. It, it took me. I, I guess I've, I've always worked in helping services, if if you like, um, in the industry, um, but. Yeah, then I, it took us, you know, obviously you have to grieve and go through it, but it took a number of years um, before I wanted to sort of learn more and that's when I went on to study, do a postgraduate in grief, loss and trauma and, and I think that was really the beginning of sort of learning more and healing for me and my children and understanding children's grief. So, mm. Mm. Oh, Thank you so much for sharing that and I'm so, so sorry that that's your experience and your whole Mm. family's experience I can't help but feel moved to tears hearing Mm. that yeah thank you yeah yeah it's pretty it's um you know when I first met Christy so just for our listeners um just so I don't sound insensitive I have known this story and heard this story before in terms of understanding Christy's journey to grief um or to meet grief in that level um and I cannot tell you what a um I don't even know the right word to use I'm not it's not like I'm impressed but it's like such an outstanding example of um recovery I want to call it I guess or um I don't know it's kind of like we're going to talk obviously a lot about grief and how how it moves but you know for you it's like eight years ago and you come into my life to do mentoring to go to where it is that you want to go um in what you're here to do and you've you've like you just blow my mind like really like you know like our listeners will know about my experience with 
our second child being born dead and then being brought to life outside of the womb. Um, and that's a whole different experience in itself. But like, I can't even come close to even, I, I just, I can't. Oh, I'm, I don't even know what to say. I just think that you're fucking amazing though. Like, <laughs> how do you find the strength to do what you do and have your two little babes at home and just like, fucking hell man seriously like you're just you're a warrior and um what you're here to do in this world like it's just it's so beautiful to know that you're you're doing it with Emmy's spirit and mm. that her her spirit is going to be given so or has been and will continue to be such a guiding light for so many others mm. such a teacher yeah mm. unbelievable but yeah. anyway I just I think you're fucking amazing just quietly <laughs> Thank you so much. And I think you sort of captured it all, all in the end. Like that's, it's absolutely Emmy and it's obviously been been a journey. It just doesn't just happen overnight, you know, anything but like you said, it's it'll be eight years and mm-hmm. a couple of months in September, but um, it's 100% it's her and, and, that, and that's sort of what I'll go through and, and talk about with, with how I think, you know, moving forward and moving through grief, yeah. but just absolutely being surrounded by her spirit and feeling so loved and connected. Um, and that's when the real shift came from me about how do you um, move through something that is just so um, unimaginable and painful and, and really tragic. Um, so that that's kind of, it's her, <laughs> it's all her. Mm. Well, not only how do you, but you're obviously helping others now too. So there's next level elements there. Mm. So I guess if we can um, take it back a few notches and just um, I'd I'd love if you could explain what is grief for our listeners as a starting point. Yeah. So grief is really just a normal and very natural reaction to loss. Um, We generally associate it with the loss of a loved one, but um, it's not limited to death. It can we can experience um, the same grief, grief following you know loss of relationships or a livelihood or um, you know careers or workplace or there's transitional or developmental losses where um, you know the empty nest syndrome or when we you know retirement or even when we've gone through a phase where we've had our children at home and then they go off to school, for, for many that's a that's a feeling of, of grief, that loss of um, that that connection, those times, those memories. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a very natural response to the feeling of a connection end, ending, a bond or an emotion. Mm, the end. Yeah. 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 And so what does grief look like in general and what are some signs of grief that perhaps aren't so obvious? Yeah. So I think with grief it doesn't just affect us emotionally. Emotionally is sort of the obvious one, but, you know, it affects us behaviourally, physically, uh, socially, spiritually. Um, It really just has such a profound impact on all areas of our life and, um, So I think, you know, there's the real common, more obvious ones where our, you know, things like sleep is disturbed or, you know, for some the opposite happens. They just just want to sleep. They just want, like, tap out, just, you know, I just want to forget this, Um, you know, or that lack of motivation or will to just get up and um, go on. But so many do really report physical um, symptoms and a real heaviness. Um, And for many it's not even until 
um, it could be years later and that sort of I thought I've been dealing okay but it actually it's it's becoming physical and so that's when you know we're really quite good as humans is sort of suppressing our emotions that are too big and heavy and hard um, we don't often you know it's easy to not want to deal with them so but what happens is then we um, we they they manifest physically so there's lots of sort of physical symptoms as well um, anxiety is a, is a real big one and I spoke about socially I know that you know it could be even going to the shops those things like that are just so difficult um, and we can really work ourselves up for those those moments so I know I don't think I ever experienced anxiety until after Emmy and and particularly socially I would just dread dread moments of having to go out um and I think the reason is is because you almost you have to put on this this show um because understandably people don't grief is really hard and people yeah. just don't know how, how? to exactly yep. mm. um and so you really understand other people's points of views as well and you feel feel for them so I kind of overcompensate and mm. oh, I'm okay if you can talk to me like please don't because you do you get avoided <laughs> you yeah. know people yeah didn't see you and turn around in the aisle um too hard so you yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. And so I would always, you know, um, want to show that I am here and I am still human and you can still talk to me. Um, but as a result, I'd go home from these events just absolutely exhausted and shook up because you felt like um, you were basically putting on a, on a show and, and underneath all of that is so much pain and you know you you spoke about Laura like you asked that question about maybe what's not so obvious and I think mm. for me it's one of the most difficult things with grief is that I use the analogy of broken ribs um the pain and the suffering it, but we can't see that on the outside and so often you'll hear oh she's doing so well look how well she looks or she's coping so well um and the problem with that and the problem with grief is and, and the emotional pain and the inside pain, it doesn't always show. In fact, you know, quite often it doesn't. It doesn't show on the outside at all. And, yeah, so that that's the challenging part with grief. Um, but, yeah, it, it has, it impacts us in, in all sort of areas. Um, and, yeah, it's just... I guess working. I think everybody is really unique in how we do um, mm. in how we do grief, but I think there's definite sort of commonalities um, with with the pain and what it looks like. But mostly, I guess, I guess the message that I like to share is that, yeah, don't always judge just what you're seeing on on the outside of a, of a friend. And you know, we give out like society gives us sort of dates and expectations as to when it should all be wrapped up perfectly and you know after the funeral okay but in actual fact that's often when it gets the most difficult um for mm. people so it's like a relationship isn't it it's an ongoing relationship with uh, grief absolutely yeah every day yeah and I suppose um with relationships there would be different sort of strains as well and that might look differently depending on how people are grieving at any one time mm. definitely yeah, yeah. Like you've experienced this with a husband, you know, mm. who's going through his own timeline of 
grief and Mm. what if one of you is ready to get up and get back to work Mm. and to get back to what would be the new normal and the other one just can't even get out of bed yet you know how Mm. it's just an incredible I can't even begin Mm. yeah and that's such a good acknowledgement because I think for couples we know that you know grief is one of the hardest things that you'll experience I think as a human being and going through it together, you're right, you know, we do all grieve differently and even males and females and we are all we are all so different. So it's about, I think, acknowledging that and, and, and understanding, I think, for couples that even though right now this is, might be my experience, it is okay um, and we do have different coping mechanisms. So my, my husband went back to work a couple of weeks later um, I didn't ever want to work again at that yeah. time. I didn't ever want to, you know, leave. But for him, that was actually an important part of how he needed to. So it's about recognising and acknowledging that um, we are all different and, and just being being kind to that. And there'll be moments when, in a way, it can be a positive, I guess, because there'll be moments when one is feeling a little bit more more positive and needs to uplift that that other one and it's, it's done in partnership. But it definitely adds complications to mm. This is so yeah. different. Yeah. I found it really interesting when you were saying, Christy, when you were at the shops and mm. you'd see someone coming that you might have known and they would just pretend not to see you and turn around mm. and walk away because it might be uncomfortable and there you are, the, the one that's actually grieving, mm. you know, still trying to put on a, a smile and if someone did come near you, just, you know, for want of a better word, pretend that you're okay to make the other person feel more comfortable. Yeah. Um which is so incredibly backwards. Yeah. Um, so what can someone do or say to someone who is grieving? You know, what? Mm. Um, and I know you can only speak, you know, for yourself, but yeah. what would have helped you in that moment that people didn't do that would have been lovely? For me, the biggest thing is, is acknowledgement and just show up and be there. And you know what? It is uncomfortable and it is yeah. hard. Um, but this person is experiencing that like 24-7. So um, don't fear what you will say or won't say that, you know, I know it's hard because everybody is so unique and and really it comes, I know it comes from a, a beautiful place generally is people not wanting to trigger you or, yeah. you know, make you cry out in public. Yeah. yeah. One of the most beautiful things I remember actually um, and, you know, even what you said at the start of the show, I'm, I'm so sorry. To me that is just so beautiful and heartfelt because it's acknowledgement. Um, for some people if, if you can't find the words, I would say, just to show up anyway and I remember being at school and it was so so when this happened to me um my it was term three and it was the school holiday period so um we had had that two weeks and then I had to take um tests back to term four school um and you know, it was really hard because I, I remember people saying, oh, where's your baby? Oh, and God. So I felt so sorry for these people actually. Um, but I do remember this one person coming up to me and just didn't, she just she just looked at me. She just gave me this look and it, she actually just like touched her heart and then sort of touched me and she just, and she actually didn't even speak. And it was so powerful. Oh. Um 
I left just feeling so, like I felt her love, I felt her acknowledgement and that is so, for somebody who's grieving, that is so powerful because the thing is it's so isolating because Mm. people sometimes do the opposite. They don't want to avoid you either and then, you know, want to have all these conversations um, and avoid the reality but you're not what I sort of say to people, you're not reminding them, you're not reminding me that my daughter died. I live You're already with that. thinking about I'm that. I'm carrying that. Yeah. Absolutely. So don't, um, if, you're, if you're worried about what, what words to say, um, just even physical things like, you know, putting your hand on your heart, just say, I've been, I've been thinking of you or, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm so sorry that this is happening or this has happened to you. Um, yeah, can I can I visit or can I and just ask and how can I, I help? Always, yeah, yeah. Be led by the by the griever because um I felt and you know nobody, none of my friends or family will would want to hear this, but I felt so isolated because we have this kind of um perception that, oh, you know, it's, it's too early or it's not the right. And I had a dear friend ring me and she was just in, she's like, is it too early to call? And I said, no, thank you for calling. Like I'm I'm here and I'm just looking around the world going, what the heck has just happened? Yeah. And, you know, if yeah, I don't like, want it. You don't sorry. know how to do it. You don't know how no. to do it. Just like none of us know how to do it. No. Like there's no rule book that says, okay, this has happened to you. This is yeah. your next step. You're just sitting there just going, well, I don't know what to do with this either. 100%. Yeah. And I guess that's why, like, if we look at traditions and things like that with grief, you know, like just making people food and delivering it, um, you know, those gestures, like what can you do? I don't know, but everyone's got to eat, right, and it's yeah. comfort food. And if you don't know what to do, like do things, you know, like or if you don't know what to say, do yeah. things. And even like if it is a child, you know, like if if a woman or a parent, a man has a child um, that is here and, you know, like, someone could have offered to take one of the kids after school for a play date just to give you a rest or yeah you know I love that because it's very practical and I think so often we say let me know if I can help well I don't even know like I can't articulate or so but that's beautiful do some you know drop something off and also, like, if you let me know how can I help, it's just like that still puts you in the position where you have to ask for the help. Yes. And it's yeah. like, oh, make it easy for me, please, yeah. and just do it. Or just yes. say, how about I take the kids to the park on Saturday morning so you can have a rest? Yeah. And at Perfect. least you yes, can say yes you. or no. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 Or, like, um, because obviously in my job, um, I don't call it a job, but in what I do, I cut most of my clients are grieving on some level yeah um and some of the extraordinary things that people have done for people that are grieving like um one of um this is years ago now it was when I was still working from home and the lady's husband died he just died um he was a truck driver and he died on the road um and he was only in his like late 50s and so a couple of his mates got um like the gym's lawn mowing guys to come out Mm -hmm. And that they just all chipped in together and got the lawns taken care of for six months. Yeah. So she didn't have to think, oh, like he's not there to mow the lawns. And like there are lots of practical things if you can get creative as well, where the person doesn't even have to think about it, but you can really help. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that grievers are so grateful for that. Take, like you say, taking it away that have to make a decision or reach out. Um, mm. The practical things, but it's also that 
that emotional feeling or that connection that you're you're sort of witnessing their grief and saying, I know there's actually nothing that I can say or do to take away this pain, um, but I'm I, w- I want to help if I can. But I acknowledge that that you are here and you are grieving, and um, this is really hard, and um, I'm here. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So are there things that shouldn't be said or done when someone is grieving? That's a tricky one. Yeah, it is um, in that I think we, the problem is we sort of scare, grief is scary because, you know, like we said. Scary for everyone, right? It's scary for everybody. And, And often when you hear of something as tragic as a loss, like, for example, a beautiful baby girl, what? You, you take yourself to that place and you think, I can't even, like, and so you don't know what to say or what to do and so there's this anxiety and there's this big sort of cycle of, my goodness, how are we going to interact? And so I can see that's where the avoidance and everything comes from. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, like we said before, just just showing up and and the biggest thing is just being aware that you don't, it's not a time to sort of, it's a natural instinct, it's a natural human instinct to want to take away somebody's pain. But at, at these times, there's actually nothing that you can say say or do. The best thing that you can do is just, just be there, just show up, sit in that discomfort. Because saying things like, um, I reckon anything that starts with that least isn't, isn't great. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, like at least you've got your other two girls. Do you know what? That's that's probably valid. And I look back now and go, wow, thank God, you know, I had I had a reason to keep going. But at that time, anytime we sort of make a oh, let's I think we should go out, let's let's cheer you up, you know, anything like that, really all you you're doing and you're showing the griever is that this this isn't a safe place to talk because you're wanting to sort of you're not able to sit in my pain and mm. and you're actually creating the opposite. You're sort of um you be, you can become defensive and you know feel misunderstood and feel even more isolated. You actually want me to go out and and enjoy myself right now. I remember like just strange things like even not even wanting to drink coffee in I don't know how long that lasts because I do love coffee but <laughs> I remember in the early days just thinking and I think what a strange thought but I didn't want anything that actually I used to enjoy or that would bring me I just I just needed to sit in that space and and just being present and allowing somebody to do that in those moments that is that is so powerful and in actual fact that's actually what takes that shit that's actually takes some lightness away from somebody is having someone just be there with you and you know be willing to sit in that space whether it's talk or not talk um Mm. but I think yes naturally we want to take away the pain um you know I remember being told it was it was meant to be and you know those all those wonderful things it's just too soon and you know I, I do talk about finding meaning in grief but it's not others place to find it Mm. Um, or and to that, suggest it at any point no, in time. No. It's your own path. Yeah. You actually walk away from those things just feeling like you've been punched in the stomach, just wow. you're, you're what it's meant to be, or at least at least she wasn't, you know, here for a few days because then you would have got a stronger connection to her and you would have oh, seen wow. her eyes and, like, the things that you 
get told. I remember, you know, people coming and saying things like statistics, like, do you know how common stillbirths? I'm like, I don't give a shit, sorry. Like this is my daughter. This is a living human being that was, you know, carried in my womb for four, uh, nine months and I feel so incredibly connected to and love and Yes, it is a tragic thing that happens, but, again, it's just anything like that that's sort of taking it away mm. or, you know, it could have been worse. Yeah, yes. those sorts X, of y, things. Yeah. 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 And what you just said then about like, oh, come on, let's go out and grab a coffee or something, you know, what you're talking about really is fight, flight and freeze. And so people are coming to you with their own survival mm. mechanism, which is, mm lighting out of this so let's go and just escape this for an mm. hour by going and having a banana bread and coffee down at our mm. favorite cafe and a walk along the beach because they are people who like to flight or not like to flight but when there's something that's too hard they will flight and so they're they're putting their survival mechanism on you mm. thinking that you know that they, they don't mean bad and like you said it's not like they mean bad or mm. like harm or mean to upset you or hurt you but they're not present enough to be aware that that's a them thing, not a you yeah. thing. So yeah. coming to people and understanding sort of what they want to be doing mm. and, and doing it with them. So if they, like, what would you like to, or what would you like to do today? But um, how can I be with you today? Mm. Or um, how can I, you know, what would you like to do with our time together today? Yeah. How can, you know, do you want me to bring over a puzzle and or do you want me to bring Netflix and, whatever like and yeah. we can just not even watch what we're watching but just mm. you know like let the person show you what their fight flight or freeze is right mm. now and meet them there rather than trying to pull them out of it and make mm. them be one of the others yeah because there will be processes too you know like with you when you go through the seven stages of grief you know like there's going to be times where you don't want to go out and you don't want anything good and you you are cranky and you mm. are angry and you are self-sabotaging and punishing yourself and doing all those horrible things and then the next time like in a week later you might be in a completely different space yeah when it comes to your grief so it's kind of like you have to just let them let them move let them guide you mm. yeah like keep a safe space around them mm. but just let yeah. them hit the corners as the, as the edges as they need to yeah, absolutely. And one thing I would say is don't stop offering either. So if um, if there is something that you, you know, down the track or you want to invite someone or you offer to come and um, be there for them or if you ring them and they don't return your call or your message, don't, don't take that personally and don't go, oh, well, I'm never going to ask that again because um, that's just like exactly what you said. It's where they are at the moment that will shift and change, but I just think be be guided by them and, um, yeah, allow them. It will it will change as they, they move through and day-to-day is so different and one day might be, hey, do you want to come, come for a walk with me? So I think that's the key be guided by them um but don't don't give up on your grieving friend or your you know somebody who um because of one time they didn't return a call or they didn't want to go for that coffee it's not saying they may never want to do that is that right now that's not what they need Mm -hmm. Tracy like you just mentioned the seven stages of grief for those um less familiar maybe Christy would you mind talking about them and your insights associated with them 
Yeah. Um, funnily enough, so when I went and did my postgraduate and grief loss and trauma counselling, I was quite shocked. One of the first things they sort of said is there are, are no stages. Um, in saying that, I still really value them. I value the work. And I think what the key is with knowing that about the stages is that they were never just um, meant to be descriptive or, mm. or, sorry, to prescribe. They were meant to describe common experiences. And the reason that sort of current theory and thinking has gone away from them is because they don't have a timeline. Um, you can go from feeling shock and denial, anger, depression, acceptance in all in one day. And mm. I guess the, the fear is that um, by putting you know, that this is what grief will do and you will just be a part of it. It's kind of disempowering because mm. we do, it, I guess we know how unique grief is. Um, a lot of people don't realise Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who um, first came up with those uh, stages, was it was around people who were dying. So she was working with people who were dying and um, that was her research and her observations. And then, like anything, it kind of just got taken out and over and yeah. you'll see it in ads and everything. Like people can relate to the stages of grief to everything. Um, but I love Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and I love the work she's done. And um, David Kessler is another one and he's sometimes I actually um, encourage people to read his book. He's once Elizabeth has died now and um, after that he sought permission from her, her family to add a stage that they'd obviously spoken about together and it was called Finding Meaning. Um, a lot of the current sort of research now is around sort of finding meaning um, and that's really beautiful and funnily enough as he was writing that his son son died so his, wow yeah and so for me it was just so powerful but it was about others of people's experience with grief and how you know people who can somehow find their own meaning within that tend to I guess um, work through it you know better than you know those that just just can't but I think the stages are really important and I still talk about them not so much as that there's one that you jump and then you've got to pass almost to, to move on but just that these I think whenever we can find commonalities and and understand that it's absolutely okay to to be angry to feel angry um there's the other sort of work, I don't know if um, anybody's familiar with it or interested if they're listening to this and would like to know more, but there's also um, John Warden it talks about tasks of mourning and he sort of says that it's more empowering for grievers to, um, to know there are some things that you can do as you move through your grief. So, and what I particularly love about this um, is the end part, which I'll go, I'll explain in a minute. So the first part is um, accepting the reality of, of the loss. And so that is, you know, just talking and talking and talking about it and we you know revisiting and because honestly like the shock and so all of these sort of all the stages come into this anyway mm. um so there's that and then it's um sort of processing the pain um because there are so many emotions and I think all of them are so absolutely valuable and valid and we need to understand that with grief we do feel so many mixed emotions and can go from feeling you know relief to guilt to, to anger um mm. so and then there's 
the practical part of like the adjusting to a life without your loved one that that's the the day-to-day challenges like roles have to change for so many they have to become now become a mom and a dad or those sorts of things but the last part is what I, I love the most um and that is finding an enduring connection with your loved one um whilst adjusting to a, a new reality essentially and for me that's the most powerful thing or you know we will all resonate with different theories and thoughts and movements but continuing bonds and that's a theory in itself that is where the that's the most beautiful concept I think because where the stages came into criticism is that acceptance and for people they they sort of assumed it wasn't ever intended to be like this either um and and Elizabeth and David will say that they were never sort of meant to be where we put you know, all these messy emotions into tiny little boxes. But when we sort of say acceptance, people sort of think of closure and why would we ever want, when we love somebody so much and they've had such a profound impact on our life, no matter how long or for me, how little we've had with somebody, I would never want that to end, that connection, that love, that relationship. And so it's acknowledging that, that with the, the end with death, yes, that's that experience in this lifetime, but that connection, that love, that that doesn't ever have to end. Why would we want it to end? And to be honest, I think it's that's why so many people don't want to stop grieving or don't want to seek grief counselling. It's like how can you ever take, unless you're going to bring that person back, I, you know, I'm, I can never be better, but it's because it's that fear of it having to end, but it doesn't have to. Yes, it takes a different form and a different shape. And yes, it takes a little bit to get your head around that. But for me, from a personal experience, it's that that knowing that my love and connection and relationship is here. It's forever. Um, and that's beautiful. Um, and the thought of it, it ending and having to be told that I've just got to find acceptance and closure to that relationship with my daughter, that brings me anxiety. So yeah, I kind of went all over the place there with lots of different theories and thoughts. But no, yeah, it's it makes sense the way mm. you explained it. Mm. Finding that continuing relationship and connection. It just, mm. it, you know, allowing that shift to happen. Yeah. And that's what it is. For me, it was, you know, a massive shift the moment that I realized that I don't have to say goodbye or close it up. Or, you know, for some people, unfortunately society that's what they sort of necessarily want to see like let's tuck this into a tidy box because we don't like to see people sad Mm. and in pain but when you know that you can have have a connection no Emmy is not here and look there's moments you walk through for me I walk through the school and go oh should be you too now look Mm -hmm. at those kids you know yeah that's grief that's life that's emotion we are meant to feel that and experience that that's not a place we want to stay, but um, yeah, it's but knowing stuck. that, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like like when you just said about the, like, oh, you see the little year twos and, like, that's that would be her this year and, or going yeah. off to kindy or high school or that would be her graduating year. And um, grief is like um, my personal experience with grief, the best way that I feel I can describe it would be kind of like um, for those who have experienced, because not everyone has experienced it mm-hmm. at like quite, I mean, it's all relative, obviously. I don't want to ever minimise anyone else's grief, but the kind of 
grief that you're talking about is very different to the kind of grief of a relationship being over and you know they're different they're not comparable at all really mm. but when it's extreme grief that sort of that sort of transcends transcends your entire lifetime mm. and impacts everything it's almost like you've picked up um like if you go through a video game, I use the video game analogy quite a lot with life, which you probably have heard me do it before in our mm-hmm. sessions. But um, it's like you've picked up, and for lack of a better way of describing it, a bonus section in the game. And it's like once you've got this bonus section, you get access to all of these emotions. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that bonus section, you don't have those emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like you get to understand what it feels like to miss something that never existed in time like it's like you get access to all of these extra bonus spaces that you can move in and out of and like you know we can go through anger when when in the early stages of loss but then in 20 years time when it was 20 years ago that my wife died while giving birth to our child and now that child is getting married I'm angry that my wife's not here Mm. And like on that day, the anger will resurface mm. maybe for just a minute. Yeah. So it's almost like once you've got that bonus section, like that bonus sort of ex, like part of life, they, mm. they will come up and, and you'll be able to tap into it whenever. Mm. It's kind of like yeah. you got to travel with it and mm-hmm. you've got to learn to live with it and you've got to learn to manage it you've got to learn to control it and to embrace it and Mm. move with it and flow with it rather than against it and deny it and close it it's like I've got to live with you now not against you yeah yeah so what what would you say to someone who um maybe refuses to deal with their grief you know we I have met plenty of people in my life who, um, by my judgment, shouldn't be as okay as what they appear to be. You Mm. know, when people say that, it's just like, you're not okay. You haven't had time to grieve. You Mm. need more time off work or you need to, you know, you need to stop doing what you're doing. Like you need to, you need to take some time to yourself. You know, we see it on movies all the time. Mm. What do you, if there really are genuine people like if there are genuine moments where you find that you're worried about someone that you care about because you can see that they're not processing grief at all Mm. what would you say or what would you suggest people say or do Mm. I think that works for a while you know there's a place for you know not grieving if you like um I think and I know I've got some people very close in my life and also I see a lot of people um, professionally that are that are doing this it's it's a coping mechanism in itself and um and it's one because like I said before I don't think there's anything more difficult you'll have to do in this lifetime like you said when there's a really life-shattering rearranging kind of loss that's happened and so to actually sit in that pain for so many it's just they they just can't even do it um and I just think Personally, those people, I think that down deep, if they know, even if they don't say it themselves, I think they'll realise that there will become a point in time where it manifests in other ways. So it affects every other area of our life. So if we're not eventually, like it's just going to 
all spill out if you like so you know and we do have different grieving sort of styles for some people it's just sitting in that loss orientation and for others it's like restoration right I've got to go out and work I can't think about this um but I do think for those that are sitting in it um you know and like we were saying before I don't think there's anything you can necessarily tell someone to sort of change it I think they've got to come to a place of acceptance and realization that it it will resurface and I bet anything that those people are having moments where it's absolutely showing up and they might not connect it to grief at all um but it, it shows up, it shows up in our relationships, our relationships at work or, you know, in our in our marriage or with our children. And um, I think it gets stuck in our body, I think, grief. And I think Absolutely. it's it's got to have find a place to go. Um, so short term, I guess I would say, um, you know, I would say to people it might, there's a, not saying there's not a place for it, there's a place when we do have to, you know, I guess life, you know, we sort of, I remember thinking how cruel it is, you know, that the sun keeps coming up, the, sur- the birds keep chirping. I remember thinking, is people not really aware? Like how are you driving and my daughter's just died and what the heck? And you're talking about this, that and the other. And so I've definitely been, been in that place as well. Um, but I don't know. I just, I think it, I think it, it works for certain people for a certain amount of time, but I don't think it's sustainable. Um, I don't think it's sustainable. And even if you if they aren't connecting it to all these other things that are happening in their life, I can pretty much guarantee it probably it's it all comes back to grief. I've actually, um, you know, sat with a person in a, in a prison cell, for example, and his whole life just everything just went has completely gone pear-shaped, like just spiralled out of control. And he, after a few moments, was able to articulate, you know, when I was this year old, my mum died. And and so that's, I guess, for me, that's the example is that if we don't sit with our grief, we don't feel it, it's meant to be felt, it's meant to be witnessed, it's meant to be moved through and released. If we don't do that, we, we are actually, believe it or not, carrying it. Mm. um whether we like it or not um and we can do all of these things to try and avoid it or take our mind off it um but I think life just spirals out in in many other forms and like I say it may not always be connected to grief but I think and sometimes that's what happens in my role is when people sometimes will actually come to me about maybe I don't want to say like a lesser loss but something that they like I don't actually know why this has really affected me and then you go back to previous experiences and previous losses and, it, and there's something really significant that happened all these years ago um, and that's that's resurfacing and that's because that grief has never ever been healed it's never been witnessed it's never been allowed to be felt um, so yeah I don't know if that really answers the question but it's it's I, I think it, it it really is important that however that works for you as an individual, we need to find space and time for it because otherwise we will probably become physically sick or we'll have experiences where, um, you know, life 
isn't fulfilling and um, it isn't, we don't find contentment and joy. And, you know, I, I remember so vividly the feeling of going, oh, my gosh, this is it. Like, so now I've got to spend the rest of my time on earth just feeling this absolute misery. My, my family will never be complete. I've just got to, this is it. This, and I really, really felt that. Um, and and I think for so many they do. They actually, you know, sort of think this is this is just the, the card I've been dealt and nobody can take it away and I don't want anybody to take it away because, you know, maybe that would negate the loss or the, the connection. Mm. You can understand how that might be, someone might be fearful of that. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. And even with grief counselling, well, why? You either can't bring my person back or actually don't want to heal because would healing mean that I'd be forgetting that person? Absolutely not. And I think if if people can shift in that, you know, mm. like we we're talking before with continuing bonds, that is life-changing. And I say life-changing because I look at me and I think I experience so much magic honestly in the world like I, ha- I have following the death of Emmy you know everything changes the way you see people you hear words everything just looks and sounds so different but if you allow yourself to feel and to heal like you can't heal what you don't feel and if you allow yourself to go there this is a short life time um you know whatever your your beliefs but I think if you're listening to this you understand that this is this is a really short time and it's a like there is so much joy and magic to be experienced and I actually don't think I would ever have been who I am or felt who I am if I hadn't have had Emmy and for that I'm so I'm great so grateful Mm. um it's just beautiful when it's obviously taken you years and a lot mm. of work to get there. Yeah. But yeah. it's, you know, it's possible. Mm. And you're, that's, you know, what you do, help others, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. What about destructive um, behaviours like drinking and going on benders and... Um, the negative or, coping. Yeah, like those kinds of things. Because that again, that's just that's just numbing. It's people's. But how do you deal with those people? How do you reach them? How do you reach them? I think by finding a way to sit again with them, and and it it depends on what relationship and what setting. But actually, just acknowledging maybe where that 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 pain comes from, not judging them. Um, because that's why I, I don't know, I feel really passionate about the people that that have that do that because we we're not born bad people. Nobody's born a bad human, you know. They're in pain. They're in pain. They're and pain absolutely pain-based behaviors. And it is so it is. These these emotions are huge and powerful. And for some people, and particularly you know, if it's it's that cycle of grief and um, and pain and loss that we just continue, that's what we've learnt. Okay, well, I've seen my parents just drink and that's what they do to numb their pain um, and that's what we see and that's what we do and I get why people are doing it. For me, how do you reach them is, I guess, give them a time and space and, and acknowledgement and witness witness their pain 
acknowledge why are why are you drinking and these self-destructive behaviors um because there's pain that's never been probably acknowledged healed witnessed um Mm. And I think give give an opportunity to do that. At the end of the day, I don't think anybody can force anybody to do, um, you know, or be or feel something or, you know, you need to heal or you need to go to camp, you need to do this. But I think if we just just step it back a bit and acknowledge and, and understand that, yeah, these are pain-based behaviours, they are hurting and they haven't really developed or known any other strategies to sit with and and move through that pain. That's what you, you said. Just said it. Yeah, you don't yeah. know what you don't know. Showing them other alternatives. Sorry, Tracy. So what you were going to no, say? It was going to say you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, like from a spiritual perspective, um, we we one of the really big goals is to just be in the present moment and observe and witness and not judge and mm. to live out of judgment and when you see someone who is being destructive and you can see that they're hurting themselves and they might be hurting others because of their behaviors or whatever it is and you can see they're in pain and you are protective of them like I'm protective of people that are in pain too mm. and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like that's what you were getting to. It's like mm. I'm protective of people who mm. are just dealing with it, how they're dealing with it. If they've yeah. got to run, they've got to run and just let it yes. run for a minute. Yeah. But it comes down to like with the intention, you know, I, I feel that one of the reasons why I get to be blessed to do the job that I do in terms of the mediumship and to have the same kind of vein of people come through, um, I feel it's because I just simply uh, – um, am completely non-judgmental, neutral to how they are holding their pain, whether it is through suffering or through love or whatever it is they their behaviour is or their frequency is where I come from. And so it's just to witness it and just accept that that's where they're at but then let them know that there are other ways and it doesn't have to hurt this badly if they want to. Like I get you're in pain and I we can't stop that. I can't stop that. You can't stop that. The pain will never, ever, ever stop existing. You're going to live with that pain. However, you know, like is this how you want to live with it for, forever? You know, there's so many different ways you can choose. Is this your flavour of choice? Yeah. Exactly. And just when you can have a conversation where, like you said, you're not attacking them, mm. you're not judging them, you're just showing them other ways, other other potential opportunities, other, other medicines, other, other drugs of choice to be able to, yeah. to numb it or to soothe it. And, you know, like when, when I think about um, like different types of pain that you can hold on to, you know, one of the things that I know that you're aware of as well and, um, you know, I think about when people have to grieve their childhood, mm. you know, like I, I grieved my childhood for mm. a really long time without realising it. And yeah. when I'm able to articulate and help people understand who might be living mm. in addictions because it's usually addictions that you see or, you know, their children are taken away from them because of drugs and alcohol problems or they're put in jail because of their behaviors because of the drugs and alcohol problems um when you sit with those people and you're just like hang on a minute you are in pain 
because you mm. haven't grieved the inner child. Like you haven't yeah. grieved your yeah. childhood. And you, like you said about the man that you sat with at the prison, it's mm. like, well, my mom died when I was six. Mm. You know, like even your own childhood, even you're still alive. Mm. But between the ages of three and six, I was sexually abused and my childhood was the innocence was taken from me and I didn't even know it. Mm. I get to grieve that and I can choose to do that now because the way that I was trying to numb that or avoid that grief Mm. was something set in stone from the age of 14 and I hadn't even seen it that way. So sometimes when you can just sit and converse Mm. and share other stories of Mm. other people but not like you're lecturing, Mm. but just like oh you know what like I once had a a friend or you talk about your own experiences and that's why you know you with your with your experience with Emmy Mm. that's why it really just uniquely qualifies you Mm. to be in the position that you're in Mm. because you've got a frequency inside of you that other people who grieve they understand Mm. it's a shared frequency and we all Mm. have it and we can tap into it it just depends on what your agenda is yeah to the other person and that's judgment Yeah. yeah and I I do I remember you just reminded me we um we actually decided to take the girls to um see Emmy after um she she'd been to Perth she came back um and you know it was it was a decision that um it was really hard at the time and I remember when we first gave um, birth to Emmy, um, the doctors said, you know, bring the do- bring your daughters up. You know, we both looked at each other like, are you morbid? Like, don't, you can't see a, a dead baby. And I remember thinking, gosh, if I sort of knowing in, in the work that I do, they're, they're saying this for a reason. And look, this is a very individualised thing too, because it's not something that you have to do or don't have to do, but it's what we chose to do. But I'll never forget the feeling. Um, so when we, that the girls just loved it. It was a very beautiful experience. But leaving, um, my eldest, Tess, was just, like, heartbroken. I remember mm. even the lady at the funeral home was just, like, you could see she just wanted to crack open and she just grabbed onto us and she was just sobbing. And I remember that I said to Brad, drive through the bottle shop and get me a bottle of scotch. Like, I cannot feel this pain. Thank God he didn't because I might have, like, yeah, never stopped knows? drinking. I do not know. And thank, But that was, that was such a strong feeling. Like, I can't actually feel this because, you know, your grief and then you add your children's grief. Um but what I believe and what I've learned about children's grief is that we can't, we want to, everything we want to do in this world is protect our children. Um, but the reality is with life there is death, there's adversity, there's pain and there's suffering and it's how we work, you know, support them through it. So she's the most, I, my children I just think are the most beautiful souls in that they know they've experienced adversity and pain but they're so compassionate and kind, you know, it's, so that you don't get that, like you were saying before, if you just live a sheltered, privileged life either. So, um, but yeah, it did remind me of that that place of wanting to numb it. It, it really comes because it's excruciating. And for a moment, you just want to. God, I remember thinking, if there was a button right now, I could press just to tap out. This would be like tap mm. so many times. Helplessness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Can I just ask, what did you do? How did you spend that afternoon after you left and your eldest was so upset? Yeah. So one of the beautiful things with children is they can't stay in that deep pain um like us adults sometimes I think we force ourselves to but we we you know we are more inclined to sort of stay there for longer but we really just had to be there for her and and just cuddle like I don't think we got I don't think we could get her in a seatbelt for some time so we stayed there and we just cuddled and we just said I know and mm. um we just let her cry and talk about it you know gives me a lump to my throat now and I remember coming back we all just went out the back and she was sort of bouncing on, they were bouncing on the trampoline and then, you know, um, eventually, um, you know, she sort of started playing in that again. And I remember, um, like, visitors coming over. It was after that and I remember her saying to them, oh, we just saw my sister um, and she's, you know, something along those lines and their response was, see, like, children are fine, like, they're so resilient, they don't, you know, and I think there's truth in that, but it's also something just to be aware of that, yeah, children do grieve, but it just it will look differently. And that they can go from feeling that pain to, you know, that that joy of just jumping around and playing and going back to that childlike um, sort of behaviour. So what we did is we just we sat there, we listened, we cried and we said, you know, um, I know, and and then we talked about some beautiful things we were going to do. I think there was like a, a pink, a special pink moon um, that that night or that evening. And um, so we said, you know, we'll go out and, you know, talk to her and, you know, yeah. So it sort of, it changed, it moved and we mm. just had to sit there in that awful discomfort. Like the pain yourself is just, and that's why I say it's physical. I remember just feeling so sick. Yeah. So sick. Off the Richter scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Children have mm. a different, sorry, Lara. No, you go. Yep. Children um, are better at being in the present moment. That's their yeah. gift. You know, mm. that's that's why grief looks so different to most children because mm-hmm. Their present moment is far more loud and fun and vivid than the past and the future. They haven't learnt yet to live in the past because they don't have much of a past to go back to and they don't understand the concept of future. Yeah. They live in the now. And um, when I have uh, clients who come who have got young children and the client is grieving, whether it's a parent that they've lost or a partner or a sibling or whatever, um, I always just give them one of the tools of, you know, um, if you can be like child, you know, Mm. give yourself the gift of just, even if it's just two minutes of a day, just connecting to that childlike energy and just being present and playful. And I know it sounds strange, but depending Mm -hmm. obviously on the level, like if it's your mother or your father that's passed away and, you know, they passed away of old age and they were meant to go and they're out of pain in a better place now, it's much easier to say, oh, I can go out and have a giggle with my kids. But I obviously I wouldn't say that to someone like what you went through mm. at that stage of grief, but it's all appropriate. Yeah. But children's grief, it's because they can be in the present. Oh, yes, exactly. And I think <laughs> we can learn so much from, from children's grief and the way that they, like, they haven't, yeah, develop those societal expectations and views and, and how we should grieve. They just let it roll out. Yeah. yeah. And it's I remember, not appropriate um, to turn around and say, I went and saw my baby sister at the morgue today. <laughs> 
you know, like that would yeah. mortify most adults yeah. hearing it. Meanwhile, yeah. she's jumping on the trampoline, yelling it out. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's so inappropriate. But they don't know. It's just no. so innocent. No. It's just the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And every year we do different things um, for Emmy's birthday anniversary. And a couple of years ago, Tess drew this beautiful photo of her and, and Emmy. And what I loved is... It was Emmy, but it was Emmy growing. And, you know, often other people visualise just still the baby or she's still our baby or whatever. But Tess had drawn this beautiful uh, picture of, um, like, the wings and she was holding Emmy's hand, but she was still growing with that. And I just loved that. Oh, wow. I love that. I wanted to ask you actually, you know, how you commemorate, you know, significant dates and whatnot. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. And I think one thing I would say to people listening with that and how to do it is, again, it comes back to that no judgment or expectations, but I think it will change. I remember the first year we had some family over um, and Tess wanted a birthday cake. So it was, the, yeah, it was the first year and we all sang happy birthday. And I just, it was oh, horrible because I'm like, this isn't happy birthday. This isn't how we should be be doing it. I don't want to sing happy anything. And I didn't even really want to be around people. And so, again, and, and that will change over time and that's okay. A few years later we were travelling to go on a camping trip and we'd had these muffins with us and we ended up that night, we're like, hey, let's sing happy birthday. And it felt right and it's okay. So, I think that's an important part of how how to help people move through grief and how to sort of remember and and it's okay for it to change and do whatever you feel is right at the time. Mm-hmm. Given permission to do what feels right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's okay that that will change. Mm. Yeah, and being aware that it is, yeah. you know, it's so it's okay and it does happen. It is a thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, for anyone that's listening that this might have kind of woken up some of their grief, um, do you have any self-care tips that you might be able to give our listeners for what to do as soon as this episode finishes? Yeah. <laughs> I think first. Have a cry. Yeah. It, first and foremost, just understand that it is just that self-compassion, like, this is, it is actually very hard being a human and it is really big emotions and so feel them and it's okay to feel them. And I think if we allow ourselves to do that, then we take away that judgment and fear because I think it's when we start to get scared of these feelings that we start to worry, is something wrong with us? And then we go into sort of panic mode. And so I think, you know, find someone that, allows you to sit in your grief and express it expression is so important um and and find that way for you whether it be and it will be different for everybody um I became a runner oh my goodness I'm so uncoordinated but I I started running 5k's and wow um yeah I don't do that anymore I feel like all my anger's gone so I find it hard to to run now but you know (laughs) The um, nature and grief, you spoke about just being grounded and in the moment and we can't, you're so right, we can't take away that loss, that pain, but we can allow it to move through us and, and move out of our body and so to ground yourself and take your feet 
off, not your feet off, your shoes off and, mm. you know, ground yourself at the, the beach or if you're not near a beach, the grass or the dirt and just connect with nature and, and allow yourself to just really feel what you're feeling and whether it be if you're a writer, writer's a beautiful expression, singing. Um, and if it's something that has sort of triggered in you and, and maybe you feel like you haven't ever really acknowledged it or you don't have that space because for me I I I'm so, I feel so blessed I've got a beautiful husband and family but like I said I felt so isolated so isolated and if you haven't found that person that's still um able to sit with you find you know go speak find a professional speak to someone find do something that it allows you to sort of express and work through it because bottling it up you know, I had somebody once that came into like it was 20 years later with this really horrific, traumatic, deep grief experience, you know, speaking about bottling it up and hiding it away. And one session and the relief and the release because she didn't have to hold it in anymore. So there's power in that. So I think all grief needs to be witnessed and expressed and, um, and enable for us to, to move through it. Yeah, I love that. All grief just needs to be witnessed and expressed. Mm. Um, one of my clients who was grieving quite a lot and was always um, ashamed of the anger side of it had kind of gone through all of the other emotions and let them flow through him, mm. but he refused to do the anger because the person yeah. who had died was his father and his father was an abusive alcoholic. And he never, as a grown man, my client refused to raise his voice, refused to be an aggressive person, tried so in so much of himself was about never being like his dad. So it became really hard for him to be able to express um, the anger side of it, mm. especially when it was his dad that died. And it's like, wow, it couldn't be any more kind of like appropriate if you, if you tried in terms of how you're going to get to finally express your anger is because your dad's died. Mm. Um, and it just so happened that a week earlier before that, I'd had, an, had another male client who actually gave me a way that he deals with his anger because he, um, and it wasn't through grief or anything. It was just his expression of anger and he was always ashamed of expressing his anger. So he used to go down into the ocean and used to go under the water and scream so loud and thrush because mm -hmm. he felt like no one could hear him, but the ocean would hear him, that Mother Earth would hear him. And if yeah. all else, that he would be heard and held by Mother Earth and nature. So I suggested, and I feel like that was all divine time that I'd had that gift from that client yeah. and was able to give this man and he did it. And you know, it it really, really, really helped. So you can get creative yeah. with the way. I don't think that you can't express these things because there are people out there who find ways and all you got to do is just speak it and mm. let the universe help you to, like let, let your spirit guide you, let the universe mm. help you to come up with creative and loving ways for you to release because yeah. you don't need to hold it. No. I love that. And I love every time, I think every time I jump into the ocean, I dive in and my words are, I am healing, you know, oh. I am healing. And it's just, I come out of the ocean <laughs> feeling beautiful. Um, so you're so right. There's just so many ways 
but it's if we can I guess first acknowledge and then visualize and then allow allow it to move through and release finding that it's beautiful and powerful can I just ask quickly before we go because I know that you and I did this together and you can you know, we can see how we go and maybe you'll ask to to not include this in the podcast, but we'll see. It's entirely up to you because <laughs> I didn't I didn't warn you in advance or prep you. But very quickly before we go, would you be able to just talk to what happened when you were guided through the process of um what it's like to let go? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that came up actually because um, I wanted to mention that, you know, with the grief and with learning, I'm still, it's a lifelong journey and I thank you for that final well, part, like a big part of the puzzle in that I really for so long, even though like healing has been and learning and growth has been an ongoing journey, I um, I didn't realise that I literally still just carried this part of this pain where I felt like I, as a mother, I guess I failed my daughter and I, I felt like she couldn't live out this life. So I I guess I was carrying around that with me, that that pain and I guess guilt and just holding on that I can't say I'm grateful that she came and and she's not here. And so when we sort of worked through those sort of emotions and that pain and knowing it it's okay you don't have to hold on to things that aren't serving you and it's about how you what's your favorite what do you say Tracy like it's um hold it so it hurts you hold it so it serves you yeah yeah and so how are you thinking about it and I'd never really considered I thought you know I've I feel pretty good with how I'm going with my my grief and then when we had that discussion I realized wow I'm I'm holding it in a way that I'm still in pain and I'm still suffering and so when we spoke about releasing releasing that guilt and that pain in the way way in which I felt like I had to hold on to pain I had to sort of accept that this is part of what I need to do so I started, I remember going for a walk and, you know, talking about release and, and I remember saying, Emmy, like, is it okay for me to, to release? Like is that this pain and holding on to this and, and the way I've been looking at it and like this beautiful little rainbow just appeared out of nowhere. Um, and then I, I was doing all of this and I was doing lots of different things. Like I can't actually remember it all, but it, it ended <laughs> up in me in hospital. <laughs> um <laughs> It's not funny, is it? But it is funny. Um, <laughs> it was very. It, it, it was. It was all very much the divine happening. You could just yeah. see it all happening. Yeah. So I <laughs> I let go of that that sort of last bit of pain. I guess I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, Tracy. Well, but it it's kind of like um like the judgment and the perception of what society would see you as, you know, as a mother who lost, who gave birth to a stillborn baby and everything else that that brings. And that that kind of puts you in this, in this space. And, you know, by sitting in that space, was it serving you to sit in that space to still feel um, that you needed to own sadness and needed to Mm. own grief and needed Mm. to own suffering and needed to own recovery and all the things Mm. that that involves. It's like 
you know, like it, and I think the way that I use the example that I use with my sexual abuse, it's like, Mm. I could see myself as the victim of sexual abuse. And that gave me justification in a societal sort of terms of my behaviors and that I was damaged goods or that, you know, like I'd kind of accepted this, Mm. this like painted scarlet red that society had given me, but really was that how I really felt? Mm. And you didn't really feel mm. like Emmy was something bad that had happened in No. But you no. felt guilty for saying that. Yeah. So it's like I don't feel mm. bad that I was sexually abused. I don't feel guilty for being abused. I don't feel like a victim. I don't mm. feel anything. I'm actually really fucking grateful. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, it was hurting me to sit in the box that everyone was putting me in and labeling that yeah. was easier for everyone else to hold. Mm. It was hurting, it was hurting you yeah. to sit in that box. It wasn't allowing you to, to really step into the purpose that you found through yeah. Emmy and that experience. The society was sort of keeping you locked in a box that was more comfortable for them yeah and I never realized like you said to me could you say I'm really grateful (laughs) that you know I had Emmy I lost Emmy I've gone through this experience I was like no like I don't think I can say that yeah and then but why I feel it I feel it like I why can't you say it yeah who can't you say it to you said it to me so why can't you say it to the general public yeah and it was the fear of judgment yeah. Of like, well, what kind of a mother are you? Yeah. If you're not still heartbroken mm. yeah, and still sad and it's like, mm. well, you are, but mm. you're choosing to step into the purpose of it all mm. yeah. and you're not going to feel guilty about it. It's not, it's, you don't need to hold on to that. No. And obviously Emmy was ready to say, thanks, thanks, mom. It's about time. Let's go. <laughs> and then you ended up in hospital with a massive purge of, asthma and pneumonia and oh. all the rest of it wow yeah. straight off the heart chakra off the chest <laughs> it came yeah <laughs> it was Absolutely. just like ripe and ready it's like there was no lag time no no there wasn't I think we had no. a session Tuesday and I think I was in hospital Saturday yeah <laughs> Crikey. yeah and the rainbow happened somewhere in between there that that, that day the yeah. day at like the moment because I'll yeah so the universe and spirit will bring mm. that grace and that ease for mm. you but you have to go first and sometimes it's really scary mm. to be able to say you know what my husband died and I'm okay to move on now mm. yes I still love him but I'm ready to re-love again or my mm. child died but yes I'm ready to have another one or yes mm. I'm still ready to talk about it I'm ready to own it I'm ready to take the stigma away from it I'm ready to hold space for others mm. and step into that um, strength yeah Mm. yeah look at you you're on a podcast talking about it all I'm so (laughs) grateful that I got to be here um Mm. and listen to you and and be able to bring it to our listeners Mm. thank you so much for having me so grateful for you and Emmy Mm -hmm. yeah thank you love hearing her name I love your podcast so thank you for having me (laughs) Well, All that's right. a pleasure and an honour and um, and we'll be in touch. Obviously, you're in touch Wonderful. with Tracy anyway, but yeah, we're all and friends we'll, now. Yeah, And we'll get Laura <laughs> to put um, in the show notes links to your 
um, website and and all of those lovely things just in case people will feel like they need to reach out or connect with you on any Mm -hmm. level. Um, But thank you so much. I really, really, really truly appreciate you and am humbled by you every day, by your courage and your bravery um, and just the warrior energy that you embody. So thank you. Thank you. Mm, that's Thanks beautiful so, so mm-hmm. yeah like Tracy said I will put details on about your website <laughs> and how to connect with you can you just briefly tell me and everyone what you're doing now um so I do grief counseling um but also like to do sort of support groups or I call them workshops just sort of understanding and lovely more yeah. about grief and and just yeah gaining some strategies of how to sort of work through and move through and lovely. you spoke spoke about it earlier I think there's a real connection when just there's healing I think that happens when we get together as as a collective or to you know yeah. as a group to sort of understand what others are going through so I love doing that and yeah you can um, I've got a website and a Facebook page so okay I do also do Skype sessions and things like that so yeah yeah Yeah. you can see more people that way no matter where they are yeah it's awesome lovely Mm. thanks so much for your time it's thank you absolute privilege and an honor thanks Thanks so much thank you Thanks, everybody. We'll uh, see you next time. We love bringing Turns Out She's Psychic to you each week at no cost. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation researching, coordinating and producing the show ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making the show. As a thank you, we'll send you out some Tosby tattoos. We'll give you a Patreon shout-out on the podcast. There's a monthly live Q&A, competitions and giveaways, as well as special book and movie review bonus episodes. For more details, please click the link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com. We welcome your ghost stories and any questions that you have for myself or Tracy. And we'd love it if you left a review and shared the podcast with your friends and family and give us a follow on Insta at turnsout underscore she's psychic. Bye-bye. Bye.